God's wisdom in the hymn selection this morning for so many reasons. Let's take our Bibles and journey back to Titus chapter 3 together this morning. Titus chapter 3. This is third of Paul's pastoral epistles. For those of you who are younger in the Lord, a pastoral epistle is just simply a small letter. An epistle is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to two young pastors, uh, teaching them how the church should function. All right? He wrote two to Timothy. That's first and second Timothy. Timothy was a 38-year-old pastor, somewhere between 38 and 40-year-old pastor, the church of Ephesus. And Titus was appointed to go to Crete. And as we said earlier in our look at the book of Titus, the church of Crete was a young church. It got off to a great start, but it had fallen into some super hard times. And the relationship that Paul had with Titus was deep and wide. Built up a tremendous trust between each other. And Paul had mentored him well enough to be able to go into that once young, strong church and piece it back together. And from what we understand, there's probably multiple churches on this little island uh, that needed help. And Paul instructs Titus how to do that, starting with, as we looked at, uh, chapter 1, appointing the proper leadership at a church, and then allowing the folks over 60 years old in the church who are mature in the Lord to be an influence on the younger, teaching the people how to be faithful in their vocations, be proper representations of gospel light in their workplace. And then he journeys into chapter 3, teaching them their relationship, not just within the church and how you take the church to the world, but he continues along that line by teaching believers how they should function in the world in relationship to appointed authorities. In our situation, uh, elected officials, in America, the authority rests with the people, not with the officials. Now, I suppose in any situation, the officials could usurp that authority from the people, and often they do in those situations. And we see that happening even now. But um, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 teaches us nonetheless how we are to um, mind our spiritual business in relationship to elected officials as people who gave them the authority to have their position. And then he goes on to uh, discuss how we are to properly relate with people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ who are not in authority. We saw that the last time that we were together. If you'll look with me in verse 2. In relationship to elected officials in verse 1 and to other relationships. Those are rulers. These are relationships now in verse 2 to malign no one, to be peaceable, to be gentle. We defined these words last time we were together, showing every consideration for all men. And that's where we concluded. That's what we concluded. Where we concluded last time. We're going to move on now through verses 3 through 11, a little bit at a time, and continue to learn from the Spirit of God how we are to function among those who don't know Christ 
And now it's going to get a little interesting. Because it's going to include those who don't know Christ who are outside the church. And there's a good possibility that we're going to learn here how to treat people who are in the church, who profess Christ, who may not know him. Okay? And by the way, that's throughout all of Scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ affirmed that would always be part of the flock. My goodness, it was a part of his 12, wasn't it? There was 11 faithful, and there was Judas who was never born again among Christ's own band of men. He said there would always be wolves among the sheep. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 when he was teaching the pastors of Ephesus on the island of Miletus, he said there will always be wolves in sheep's clothing. The apostle John said the same thing. We see that even in the pastoral epistles as Paul, who, when he rarely does it, he'll call out a name, like a guy like Demas, another guy like Alexander the coppersmith, among others who had made their way, as the Apostle John does with Diotrephes, had made their way even to leadership in the church, having never been born again, it can happen. It can happen. But Titus is going to teach us how to even handle those folks who profess Christ but really don't know him. But where he begins here in this next section uh, is fascinating to me. He's basically saying you're really not going to know how to handle people outside the church who are outside of Christ or people who are inside the church who are outside of Christ until you stop for a moment and remember back what you were like before you met Christ. It's a fascinating perspective. He wants us to look back at the backdrop of our own lives outside of Christ so that we know how to patiently and compassionately deal with people who are still outside of Christ. And it's healthy. I was following along with the documentary of a, of a group of extreme wilderness adventurers, extreme hikers, and they were in Alaska. And you know how extreme hikers go. They, they really know how to take care of themselves in extreme situations in extreme environments. And this situation got out of control, though. They were kayaking down a frigid river, and one of the folks went over in a little rapid, and others trying to help that individual also capsized. And so everybody's underwater trying to make their way to the shore, and the water's just above freezing. They're miles and miles and miles away from any help at all. Um, I would say 20, 25 years ago, they're dead and most likely never found. Unrescuable. But one had a cell phone that was in a waterproof case. And they called 911 in a cell tower miles away, caught it. And all of their lives hung in the balance as they awaited their rescuers to arrive. And the documentary just is very, very explicit about um, how the rescuers arrived like in the nick of time, like for all of them. Else it was certain death for these 
professional extreme adventurists. In a spiritual sense, Paul's about to remind thee, remember the first word of verse 3, he's about to remind the Cretan believers that at one point in their life they were unrescuable. They faced imminent and certain death. Without a spiritual cell phone. Unable to call for help. It's the way it's going to be described here. And then he's going to describe their their natural fallen condition very, very carefully and painfully. This doesn't happen often in New Testament literature, my friends. Not often at all are believers asked to go back and look at the rearview mirror of their life and remember how filthy they were before they met Christ. How unrescuable they were, facing imminent certain death. It's like Ephesians 2, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. What's dead? Dead means unable to respond. Without life. He's about to do this for us for good reason. The reason's going to be so that we can find our way by the disciplines of grace to know how to treat people now that we are in Christ who are outside of Christ with mercy, patience, and compassion as they are living their unrescuable life. So what does he say here? For we also were, he kind of uses the same language in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, if you want to cross-reference here in the margin of your Bible. For we also once were foolish ourselves. Foolish ourselves. This is in reference to being able to be mindlessly influenced by others outside of yourself. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our lives in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. So let's just describe or define each one of these words to in our rear view mirror look about how how much trouble we were really in in our sin facing certain death we were foolish we were disobedient uh, this word as they would have under, un- understood it in the first century was unable to obey unable to obey We were deceived, and I'll back up here again and correct myself here. The word foolish means that we were unrescuable within ourselves. We were foolish, and then deceived means that we were misled, like the Pied Piper. We were misled towards death by those outside of ourselves, 
And it says here, we were enslaved. That literally means what it was. We were, we were completely slaves to all kinds. That's what it says here. All kinds of lusts. Unbridled passions. And what that means is that we're slaves to not being disciplined in relationship to how we handle even good things, let alone being slaved to our, our unbridled passion regarding immoral things. So in other words, um, food's a good thing, right? Exercise is a good thing. Work is a good thing. Before Christ, right, we are outside the being made in the image of God, we are spiritually unable to control our, our appetite for food. Outside of Christ, and apart from common grace, and I say that because common grace can give us natural disciplines because we're made in the image of God to be disciplined, but the longer we live like without Christ, the less and less disciplined we become outside of Christ. You can even overdo exercise. Any good thing can be overdone, unbalanced. What you set out to be discipline-wise, you can become undisciplined in your discipline. Work can be the same way. Work is a good thing. We're commanded to work. Before the fall, Adam was commanded to work. After the fall, he's still commanded to work, only it's going to be a lot harder, right? But work can become an unbridled passion at the expense of your marriage and your children, and your worship life. And that's where we're workaholics, right? I don't think that's ever a compliment for any believer. Workaholic. And we usually hear that word with what? Alcoholic. <laughs> Never good. And all of us have learned to grow in those disciplines of being disciplined of grace and how we handle these things. But he also says it's various lusts. It's just not unbridled lusts for good things. It's unbridled lusts for dark things. And we live in a world that's demonstrating itself in full view. Now, nothing sexually immoral is ever hid in secrecy, not wanting to be found anymore, right? It's like all out there. It's like the window shopping of our world, right? It's like the Black Lives Matter website. I think they've edited it because they got a lot of pushback. That we are for homosexual marriage, right? It's right on their website. We are for, right? We don't like this husband-wife thing. We're not for that. It's the emails I get. It's the calls I get. It's the calls I'm going to continue to get from local LGBT community and representatives of people, hey, this is who we are, accept us for who we are, and agree with us for who we are. Right? And even 15, 20 years ago, right? This is not the window-shopping reality of the world, is it?
Years ago in high school, there used to be a name for a guy or a girl who slept around all the time. And now it's just what everyone does. This is what we do. This is what the culture does. Porn used to be something that you'd hide underneath your mattress if you were a kid. Or maybe you put in the safe your wife didn't know the combination to. But now it's all over the phones, it's all over the iPads, right? It's all over our televisions, it's all over our recordings. You can get together in a theater with 500 people packed in like sardines and watch it because it's a good movie. We can joke about it, even as Christians. (laughs) But it's just kind of all common now. So you can have a a lust for something that's good that gets out of control and, and, is, and, and, and infects the rest of your life. But there's also this, this, is, was our, this was our life, really. I mean, whether you were good at hiding it or whether now we're in a culture where no one does, this is what we would be like outside of Christ. There's no, there's no guardrails on life. I set my own and you accept me. You love me and you agree with me. You disagree with someone's immoral sexual ethic today, you'll probably receive the venom from them. And I don't think we've seen anything yet, especially when a global religious leader approves of it in homosexual civil unions. It's on full display even among religious leaders now, and it's expected for people to just tip the hat to it, and it's okay. That's what Paul's saying. He wanted the Cretan believers to remember that apart from Christ, that's the life you would be enslaved to. And you know what, folks? I would be too. You would be too. That's why we don't like this rearview mirror look. It's kind of like, I don't want to remember what I could be outside of Christ. But, but Paul asks them, first word of verse one, in verse 1, right? Remind them, and then there's these things. Call them to remembrance. So that when we interact with these people who are enslaved, we, we really know how to do it a little bit more humbly phrase that unfortunately has become cliche apart from the grace of God there go I it's true how are we going to 
follow those who have been elected? How are we going in our rulership? And in verse 2, how are we going to function in our relationships with those outside the church? To malign no one, to be peaceable, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all men. How do we do that? Because all of these men are described in verse 3 of what we once were. How in the world am I not to be malicious and to be peaceable and gentle, to show every consideration for these men who continue to be foolish, continue to be disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts. And it goes on, pleasures and spending life in malice, really wanting revenge on somebody else's life for something that they did to you or are doing to you. And envy, always making other people feel bad for having things you don't have. Hateful. And what does that mean? It just means hateful. <laughs> That's exactly what it means. There's haters in the world. And then what? Not just individually, but hating one another. And we don't see anything in that, right? Oh, we'll go to Newsmax because it's the conservative true source for news. Right? And what do you see on its chief anchor? Hate. Oh, we'll go over to today's show and watch Savannah Guthrie and we'll get objectivity from her. And then what do you see? Vitriol? Disgust? Well, certainly we'll go to Fox and we'll find someone who's able to be kind. What do you see? I mean, I was direct messaging a local news anchor yesterday. We were having a nice little interchange. And I said, you know why I watch you? I watch you because I can't tell how you would have voted. Red, blue, purple, and green, or independent. I said, I can remember going up watching the news where I couldn't tell how people would vote because they just reported the news. You can't do that anymore. That's why I say, turn it all off. Doing the right thing is still wrong if you do it the wrong way. Hateful and hating one another. I mean, really? I mean, it seems like Watching the news in relationship to politics, I'm back. I've gone back in a time capsule to a sixth grade playground. We're fighting over who got out or didn't get out at second base in kickball. That got heated. That's the world. That's just what they do. Do you understand? That's what Paul's saying. That's what the world does. But Paul's saying, apart from grace, that's what you do. That's what I do. And even in grace, we're still tempted to be that way, aren't we? And I love this adversative in verse 4. Here we go. But what's the source of our change? I'll say what because it's what's associated with a who. But Here's the windshield now for us. That was the rearview mirror. Here's the windshield for us. What does the world really need to see from us now? They need to see that it was the kindness of God. 
And the, the Cretan believer would have heard this to be the graciousness of God. The intentional graciousness of God. And he's got our what? God our Savior. Go back through the book of Titus on your own time and underline every time you see the word Savior. Right? Has a lot to do with your understanding of a triune God. Because God's called Savior, Christ is called Savior. It's just an interesting little study on your own time. But it's the kindness of God and his love. Now, now in the original language, I think you're going to find what we call definite articles before both virtues. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But they're really clumped together here. as a, It's kind of two sides of one coin. But they're certain. It's the loving kindness, the kindness and love. They're inseparable of God. And the word love here is not the love word for love you'd expect. It's not agape. It's, it's where we get our English word philanthropy or Philadelphia, brotherly love. It was the graciousness of God, and it was God's nature to want to rescue the unrescuable by being philanthropic to them. Kind of reminds me of Romans 2. It's the goodness of God that causes or brings men to repentance. God calls the sun to shine and the rain to fall upon both the righteous and the unrighteous. Those who don't know Jesus yet are still recipients of his good gifts. Food, clothing, shelter, reliable transportation, small or large vacations, a regular paycheck, a job. And on and on and on. God is very philanthropic to his creatures. Amen? And this was his initiating kindness, his initiating philanthropy for mankind. And it was demonstrated to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the certain kindness and philanthropy of God. You can kind of cross-reference verse 11 of chapter 2 there. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing us salvation to all men. He has appeared. It says here that the love and kindness, these attributes of God our Savior, has appeared, has appeared. God is the source. He's the rescuer of the unrescuable. And what did he do? He saved us. And that's what the word Savior means. He rescued us. Right? We're like those lost, facing certain death, Alaskan wilderness adventurers, right? But he chose to rescue us. And then his typical Pauline fashion, he talks about the gospel in both negative and positive terms. You see it here? He chose to rescue us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Even though in common grace we could do some right things and we did some right things intentionally, Paul is reminding the Cretan believers that it was not your common grace intentional good deed that impressed God. You were still an unrescuable wanderer in trouble. It was the kindness of love of God 
that rescued you had nothing to do with you. You had no cell phone to call for help. And the positive, but according to his mercy, this, is, this whole section's about God's grace, but he talks about here his mercy. It was God's desire to save you, rescue you from what you deserved. And how did he do it? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The third member of the Godhead here is infinitely and actively involved in a supernatural way by allowing you to hear the word of God, understand the word of God, and to take your soul from being spiritually dead and making it alive in regeneration, and then setting your feet on a course for consistent renewal. I think there's a bit of positional and practical truth here. This is how God displayed his kindness to you in the third person of the Godhead. He chose you, Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the, wo of the world, by the kind intention of his will, Ephesians chapter 1 says, to regenerate you, the Spirit of God, to take you from spiritual life, death, unto spiritual life, and then to set your course, Romans 12, 1 and 2, by being continually renewed by the Spirit of God as you grow in Christ's likeness, as you're forced out of the world's mold and you're forced into the character and the life that Christ lived. And it's oppressing. Don't be conformed to this world, right? But be renewed. Be forced into the mold of Christ's likeness. And my friends, this is all omnipotence at work. This is all his grace and mercy that's operational. He sets the rescuers to mission to rescue the unrescuable because he's kind and he's loving. And the spirit he poured out among us so richly through our Jesus at our conversion. You're baptized with the Spirit into Christ, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. We're all baptized into one family in Christ. That's spiritual baptism, not water baptism. The Spirit of God is poured out on us. He baptizes us into the person of Christ where we become co-heirs with Christ. So everything that God has for the Son is now ours as adopted children. John 1, 12, right? For as many as received him, to them gave he the exousia, the authority to be called the children of God. All that is his is ours. Wow, because of the Spirit of God baptizing us into Christ. So that being justified by his grace, we're made that error we just explained according to the hope of eternal life.
And then he says here in verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in what? Rear view mirror, ugly. But this is what God did, not because of you, but because of all of him. This is how the Holy Spirit got involved. You got to remember how he changed you so that what? You can do what? So that you can replug back in to a culture that's still unrescuable apart from the grace of Christ. He says here, remind them of these things. He does so in chapter 1 and chapter 2 in different words. He does so several times in the book of Titus. I believe once in each chapter, just basically saying, look, remember what I've said and don't forget it. And chapter 1 says he actually would rebuke them sharply if they don't get this. Then of chapter 2, he does it in another context. And here, a third, listen, remind them. This is why you need to remind them of how they, how they relate with rulers, how they relate with general relationships, why they had to look at the backdrop of their own life, and now why they need to look microscopically underneath all that God's done for them in Jesus Christ. They need to be reminded so that they can do what? exist in a fallen world in a righteous way and to offer the kindness the graciousness and the love the philanthropic love of god to others who are still stranded the same way god offered it to us we got to be plugged in we are positionally to Christ and practically we've got to be plugged in to the world without being worldly for Christ's sake so how do I reach lost people well you got to be their friend this takes time without being worldly and you got to be gracious and you got to be philanthropic I remember when I was first a youth pastor, it was years ago. I don't think there's anyone in our church like this anymore. Thank God. But I was, there used to be a Burger King at the food court at the mall. You know, you know, really dating myself, right? And there was this kid that was standing in line, right, to get a Whopper, I don't know, some kind of meal. And he, he was a few shekels short of a, meal, of, 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 of a combo meal, right? And so I noticed that, right? And so I pulled a couple bucks out of my pocket and I said hey man here he looks up at me and he's like who does this right it's cool man you're going to be able to get something to eat yourself oh yeah I'm loaded we're good <laughs> youth pastors are at the top of the financial food chain right I'm loaded we're good does it look like I need to have a whopper right he said oh thank you man thank you so much man I got my meal, I sat down and ran into this former member of our church that was kind of like what we're going to describe here in just a second. He's like, man, you can't, he came up later, he's watching this whole thing, he goes, you can't do that. I was like, do what? He's like, what do I do? Get a Whopper, I got a Whopper. He goes, no man, you can't, you can't be, you can't be talking to kids like that. And this kid, this kid, his, a few years ago, he's got some let, let's just say multiple spikes in his hair. 
Each one had a different color, and, and he had a choker collar on that kind of looked like something a, like a bulldog in a cartoon would wear. It was lots of spikes on the collar, right? And he's tatted up, and this is back in the day before having holes all over your body that were given to you by somebody else that the Lord never gave you was even vogue, right? And this kid, this kid was, I mean, bling was everywhere, right? But the kid was two bucks short of a combo meal. You're not going to be gracious to that kid? You're not going to be philanthropic to that kid? So that you can give a chance to talk to him about yeah, I, I got you, man. Apart from Jesus, man, I got you. You're not going to give a cup of cold water in the Lord's name that way? Really? Plug it back in without being worldly. The same way God in Christ rescued you. pretty important the language used here make sure you remember okay this is a trustworthy statement concerning these things i want you to speak confidently for this purpose right you haven't even seen me close to get excited i probably get so excited because i just know how horrible i could be And how much Jesus changed me. And how much I just want other people to know that change. So engage. Engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men as they're described in verse 3. Okay. And now he goes to the unbelieving inside the church. So this is also good and profitable. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Basically, verse 9 is saying there was a way that unbelieving Jewish people had creeped into the church and they were talking about everything and nothing at the same time. And they tried to attach it about to their noble genealogies. They tried to attach it to their noble histories. And they would sit around and talk about everything noble that was cultural and get distracted away from Christ and his word and his mission. And he's saying, avoid these conversations that it seemed to be about everything and nothing at the same time. Kind of reminds me of Paul's language in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, where it says, love demonstrates itself three ways in the New Testament local church. It minds its own business, it doesn't make issues out of non-issues, and it knows how to work hard with its hands. That's how love works in the church. Don't be intrinsically nosy. Don't sit around and talk about everything and nothing at the same time as if it was gospel truth, and just go work. 
it's going to work. And then he says this, reject a factitious man after you've had a couple conversations. The word factitious mean doesn't mean here doctrinally heretical. It just simply means someone that likes to fight. Someone who likes to disagree. Someone who is known for being disagreeable. And when they do agree, it's only to get an opportunity to be disagreeable. That's what it means. Pretty strong words avoid and reject, aren't they? But that's how love operates. Love is the beautiful light of the character of God within and without the church. We have no gospel unless we have a changed life. And when there's people that say they have a gospel within the church and they don't have a changed life, they probably don't have the gospel. They never truly understood it in their heart. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. And folks, what he just described there was the people described in verse 3 and that was us before grace the church needs to be protected from these folks and as we relate with them in the normal rhythms of ecclesiastical life apparently we've got to have some conversations and in a non-disagreeable way graciously disagree because people who love like Christ loved aren't disagreeable. But they have the ability to disagree when the character of God is on the line and the integrity of his words on the line. Okay? This is how Christians live in a culture that's rough. But my friends, if you endeavor by God's grace to be disciplined under these, this kind of living, and as you engage the world with graciousness and philanthropy, God the Spirit will provide for you many ways in which you can testify of God's graciousness and philanthropy towards you in Christ I promise you that. Walked into my daughter's soccer game recently. The whole world's agitated by something now, right? Everyone's disagreeable, right? But I got a lot of friends there, and I, I trust they know I love them. And so they come and they ask me questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And for a, quite a handful of them, I'm able to say now, it's like, you know, you know, you know what I'm going to say next now, my friend, right? He said, yeah, yeah. You're going to bring Jesus up again, aren't you? <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I tell them, without him... I don't think the way I think, I don't talk the way I talk, and I don't live the way I live. I'm just telling you, you got to do something with Jesus. Now I'll answer your question. 
and we walk away still loving each other. And I just pray then God will allow them to see over time, and sometimes it takes five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, over time that they'll see that God in Christ is gracious and kind, and their life is unrescuable apart from his initiating love. And they'll remember that little chat by the ticket booth at a soccer game. It's like, oh, wow, he is the, he is the missing divine peace to my broken heart. <laughs> Maybe just one in our lifetime, right? Maybe two. Maybe three. But unless we're engaging in love and good deeds as grace transformed people, there'll be nobody. And we'll stand in our secure judgment zone. The daily reality that the most sobering reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. While we're safe in our free judgment zone. It says here, engage with character graciousness the philanthropy of God in Christ all right father in heaven we love you thank you so much for the simplicity of your word this morning and I, it means nothing to these folks unless it's gripped my heart I trust Lord that it's done that and Pray the Spirit of God would continually use it as the refrains of these phrases reverberate in our minds and our hearts throughout the rest of this day and this week. As we continue to be balanced, intentional, forward, light and character of God in a world that knows how to embrace being unglued. Regardless, Lord, of what's caused them to be unglued, the vices listed in verse 3, they're, we're living in the midst of a world of people that are unglued. And may we be your ambassadors of kindness and love. so hard to do as in a core of our being we disagree with so much of what we see going on in so many movements from so many people but Lord we are certainly living in our secondary home right now For our primary homes with you as citizens of heaven and while we're here, would you give us more new birth announcements through our emails? May you continue to allow the, the kindness and the graciousness and the love of your people here at Grace to, uh, to be fishers of men, as you called your disciples to be, as we live your moral character with gracious dispositions in our culture that needs Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.